Hello everyone, my name is Rosie and welcome to the East Africa Institute's Outside Looking In podcast series. On today's episode, we'll be discussing early childhood development and its importance in Kenya as well as in East Africa in general. But it's not only me on this podcast, so I'd love it if my guest, who's sitting right next to me, if she could please introduce herself. Hi everyone, my name is Ruth Mwendo from the Institute for Human Development at Aga Khan University. Great, thank you Ruth for being here today. So just to get started, can you just discuss what exactly is the Institute for Human Development? All right, well the Institute for Human Development is one of the institutes under the Aga Khan University, which mandates itself with uh, research activities and training. The main mandate of the Institute is to create knowledge around human development and also to develop a um, workforce or to train uh, people who are frontline workers who, who work with young children. So the initial focus of the Institute has been to focus on the earliest, earliest years of uh, young ones. And uh, well, that's what we're going to be speaking on is early child development. Okay, great. Yeah. And what exactly is your role with IHD? Uh, my role is that of a research associate. So I do a lot of uh, research activities and my specific areas of focus are um, children in, uh, in vulnerable settings. So look at the development of children who are in urban informal settlements or who are with different caregivers. And also uh, I look at the caregiver capacity and the environments in which these children are in. So for instance, like uh, day daycare facilities and the home environment in which very young children, zero to four years are in. And can you give a short definition of what early childhood development actually means? So it focuses on five areas. Uh, early child development uh, broadly focuses on five areas, which include physical development. And when we speak about uh, physical development, we're talking about the fine motor skills or the skills of the child in grasping items, in being able to hold items, to play with objects, yeah. and their gross motor skills, which is how the, if they're able to run, if they're able to walk, if they're able to cr crawl, so issues like that. And then cognitive development looks at how the brain is developing. So the different stages a child is growing and what they're able, the different milestones they're supposed to be achieving. It also uh, looks at language development, which relates to a child's ability to listen and speak. So when they're very young is how they're able to respond to the environment or to someone who uh, gives them different cues and also to say certain uh, speech items at different ages and then the social development would relate to how they relate to peers and even to the caregivers who very early on like their mother the father or the first teacher or first caregiver or their nannies so those relationships that they're able to form when they're very young and then the emotional development would relate to the emotional attachments or the ability to regulate their emotions as they grow and it focuses on the ages zero to eight and what's so important about the early years of a child's uh, life? So why is it so important to focus on ECD, especially when they develop into adults? All right. So there's been a lot of evidence that has been churned out that speaks to the early years as being very foundational to a child's later years or when someone grows and gets older. So ECD or those different components that I spoke to earlier 
if they're well developed, if they're stimulated, if a child is given the right opportunities, if the child is in a good environment, and by good environment, I mean if they're stimulated well to be able to understand the environment, to be able to respond to the environment, to be able to form social relationships, then it sets them up for success later in life. It sets them up to achieve better in life. It increases their potential later in life. For instance, if a child, say, grows in an informal urban settlement and another one grows in an upper-end area, and these two children are exposed to a stimulating environment that, uh, for instance, allows each of the children an opportunity to interact with similar opportunities or with similar uh, environments, caregivers, it narrows the differences of their socioeconomic status. That stops to be a factor that would determine how their life would turn out because we've given them an early start. Giving children an early start also sets them up for school readiness. So through good social like if the, the, the social area is uh, developed appropriately, if they're able to form relationships, when they go into school, they don't have a problem maybe with self-esteem issues. They're able to I interact with their peers in appropriate ways, and they're able to sort of um, adapt to the school environment other than a child who's, been, um, who's not been exposed to this kind of opportunities or environments. Another way that uh, early childhood um, contributes to um, later years is that the fiscal benefits, like government is able to make savings like on health, if uh, proper nutrition and the gross motor skills are developed appropriately, then the government would not be spending a lot of money to uh, reverse the effects that have, um, the detrimental effects that would have happened when they're very young. And there must be a few challenges when it comes to trying to implement early childhood development, especially in centers like daycares mm. or nurseries. And so could you speak to that in Kenya specifically? What are those challenges that occur? All right. So in Kenya, daycares are a phenomenon that has been growing and it has been driven by need, particularly in the urban areas. Uh, a lot of mothers are now engaged in, form, in work, either formal or informal. They look out for opportunities to be able to provide for their families. Also, extended families have disintegrated, so the uh, care support that would traditionally have been there for a child to, to be brought up by an uh, extended family or the mother are diminishing. As a result, then daycare services have emerged to meet this need. And most of these daycare centers that have emerged are run as businesses. So there's really no policy, no guidelines, no curriculum that guide the running of these centers. Most of the caregivers do it as a business, and some of them also do it as a passion because they see it as an opportunity. They see it would be able to provide them an opportunity to exercise their passion and also gain some income. So as a result, you find that uh, most of these centers, especially in the urban informal settlements, where the standards are quite low for most of the places for the daycare centers, you find that uh, the quality is needing, that the children are not able to optimally benefit from the running of these centers, that their capacities 
are not being built in the different areas of early child development. The um, centers that would be of good quality are normally really expensive and are accessible to parents who have a higher purchasing power. And you talked about those daycares where the owners really focus on it being a business rather mm. than putting their passion into it. Mm. Does IHD get involved in that way, like with those centers facilitating training? So training those working in daycares to be more focused on the importance of developing children at early years. So what IHD has done to that uh, end has been mostly to conduct research uh, through partnering with implementing organization, organizations. I'll point out to two projects that we have conducted. So we've partnered with Kidogo Aliyus, which offers high-quality education in three urban informal settlements at a very low cost. So they bring the ideal kind of um, daycare that a child should benefit from in form of a model called the Hub-Spoke model. So Hub's are like centers of excellence across three urban informal settlements where they operate. And then the hubs are used as best practice to spokes, which are now businesses that are owned by women, independently owned businesses by women, daycares that are run as businesses. So they empower these communities or women to, to mimic or to sort of provide the same standard of quality. And they, they work with them and mentor them. So as IHD, what we do, we go in to assess the impact of Kidogo's model of implementation. So we look at, is it really influencing the quality? Is it raising the quality? Is it shifting a demand of quality within these communities? Is it shaping what quality is supposed to be? So that, that is usually our role. We've also done a couple of projects with uh, different um, organizations, the Gakan Foundation at Babadogo and Matare, where we have built the capacity of caregivers within these daycare centers using uh, knowledge mobilization tools like the Sense of Early Child Development and the Care for Child Development, which have a lot of components of stimulation and responsive caregiving. So they're able to be empowered to provide better quality. And we've had a lot of testimonials from both uh, caregivers. We have seen children before and after experiences of children who are very vibrant and children who, who really have benefited from this kind of um, interventions. Yeah, so we have done across about uh, six urban informal settlements. We've done pockets of interventions in terms of measurement and training and yeah. Have there been any main challenges with those projects that you've done? Yes, there have been challenges. One of the challenges has been reach. Our aim as an institute is to see that all children in this context have an equal start. But our reach has been very limited, limited to these different interventions that are implementing in the different urban informal settlements. However, having said that, IHD is part of a consortium that has different organizations working in different areas. Still, reach is a problem. But one way that we have tried to address that question of reach is by involving the government, the county government, which has the mandate of implementing early childhood development and education in the county and tried to influence the development of policies that target children, particularly the ones who are about zero to four years, who are not directly catered for in mainstream education. Yes. Curriculum, yeah. 
And has the government implemented early childhood development? Well, the conception of the new curriculum, say it's commendable because the first two years have been alienated to cater for pre-primary education. And when you look at the kind of subject areas that will be covered under that, there's emphasis on the different domains that affect child development, including religious education, which again addresses issues of the moral fabrics of the society, and uh, psychomotor and creative activities, which is what should be happening at the very early years of a child, that their creative abilities and their physical growth is a very important component. So I'd say that the new curriculum recognizes, has recognized the need to ad independently recognize the first eight years in terms of the two six uh, of the child's development and come up with content, curriculum content, that would um, directly address issues of early child development. So we hope to see success. I know that it's been rolled out, it was piloted. There's been a lot of back and forth about whether the country is ready to take up the curriculum. So it hasn't fully been implemented, it right? It's yeah, it hasn't fully out. been, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know where we are at with that, with the implementation across the country. Yeah. Just from your own own memory of your primary education mm. experience, does anything come to mind in terms of any significant inadequacies in what you learned in primary school? Well, first I'd like to point out that my primary school experience was in a public facility. And the experience, when I look at that time and what I see now, what I observe now, is that public schools at the time offered good quality of education. The infrastructure was well taken care of. The experiences were pleasant, some of them, because you'd find that at the time, we had time allocated for games. There was a lot of time for nurturing our creative abilities, like we would have into school competitions. We'd have a lot of interactions with other schools. When I observe schools at this time, there's a lot of demand for performance. So children spend a lot of time reading actual content. I don't feel there's much time to focus on these other abilities, which is why the new curriculum has been suggested to address these limitations. Also, the um, infrastructure and the teachers at the time, I felt that we had capacity to address the population that was in schools at the time. With free primary school education, you find that sometimes the teachers are overwhelmed with the numbers of students, particularly in, in public schools. But as a country, we hope that as we move on and as we go, the new curriculum will address some of the limitations that have come up with the introduction of free primary education. Yeah. And if you could take control of Kenya's new curriculum, and focus on implementing early childhood development. What exactly do you think you would implement so that children in Kenya could develop to their full potential later on in life? So the first thing that I would really focus on would be to build the capacity of caregivers. Caregivers and teachers and all those people who are involved in delivering the content and in um, implementing this curriculum because the they're the people who will determine how successful this is. 
And I would constitute a team that would also include policymakers so that they would apportion enough resources as well. Parents also need to be sensitized so that we can mo move away from a lot of rote learning and performance. When I talk about performance, I mean academic performance or academic achievement and move away from that pressure of really pushing uh, children who are very young, who really need a lot of free space to first develop fundamental basics for them to be able to achieve later in life. So I would really do a lot of um, sensitization and constitute teams or a workforce that really understands the critical role that they will play in rolling out the curriculum. Yes, yeah. I think a good point you mentioned was about parents and mm. really focusing on sensitizing them on the importance of children, especially later on as they develop into adults, because mm. they are the prime role models for children in the home. So that's a great point. I was also wondering what is the future for IHD? What mm. are the upcoming projects? Or I know before we started this, you mentioned you're doing some research in the field. Could you just speak towards that? All right, so I'm currently working on a research project that looks at parental perceptions on the quality of early caregiving environments in three urban informal settlements. While this study was motivated by the fact that a lot of the tools that I have uh, previously used to assess the um, quality of caregiving environments have been tools that have been developed in other contexts. And some of the items um, in different domains of these tools did not address the context of urban informal settlements. Most of them also have been developed by experts or researchers and do not have parental voice. So most of the times we are prescribing to parents, sort of asking them what we already want to hear. So it's a study that purely focuses on listening to parents, listening to what they value, what they, they define as quality, and highlighting their voice in defining quality of early caregiving environments, and possibly even adopting or adapting some of these items that we use in uh, measurement to capture what is important and what is valued in communities such as urban informal settlements. I've also, well, you asked about other projects that HD is working on. We yes. are also working on a project in um, Kawangware that is looking at child development in marginalized communities. So this project is looking at embedded refugee communities or immigrant communities that have come to live in these places and trying to understand what their needs are in terms of child development and addressing those issues. That's great. And also, which refugees are you specifically looking at? Where are they coming from? Like South Sudan? We're looking at uh, immigrants from the Great Lakes. So Sudan, Congo, Burundi, and Rwanda. So, so far, those are the different immigrants we've been able to look at. And we're not targeting the immigrant families only. We're targeting even the host communities because we recognize that in these communities, the needs do not differ so much. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Ruth. Well, that comes to the end of our discussion mm -hmm. on early childhood development in East Africa. So I'd really like to thank you for joining me today in this important conversation. And now if you have any comments on what you've heard, thoughts on a topic you want discussed in future podcasts, or even if you'd like to be a part of the podcast, 
please feel free to send me an email, which is found on our East Africa Institute SoundCloud page. And remember to stay tuned for upcoming episodes on the Outside Looking In podcast series.